What's wrong? I don't know what happened. I was watering my plant, and I broke your lamp. Who's jealous of this lamp? Jealous of a plastic lamp? Jealous! Jealous because I won. That's ridiculous. Jealous. Jealous of what? That is the ugliest lamp I have ever seen in my entire life! Now it was out. Get the glue. We're out of glue. <laughs> You use up all the glue on purpose. The old man stood quivering with fury, stammering as he tried to come up with a real crusher. All he got out was... Not a finger! Hello again. And welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And uh, we want to thank you for listening uh, to whatever... Uh, on whatever platform it is that you use, uh, whether it's Stitcher or Spotify or Google or Amazon or uh, I'm sure there's another big one I missed. There's a lot of them. Uh, thank you in advance. Please like, wait, rate, review, subscribe, all the good things. Um, I got a shout out. We have a new patron. We've had a new patron for like a couple of weeks, but because of our recording schedule, it's been it's been kind of crazy. Uh, so just a quick shout out to Kelly Sweet. Uh, Kelly is a coworker of mine. I think she's listened to most of our shows. She helps us with uh, when I want Pauline Kale reviews because she has a subscription um to oh now the uh the new yorker um so uh thank you kelly uh you're gonna you, she'll give us a recommend to talk about soon so oh just awesome a nice shout out there oh thank um, you kelly we appreciate it very much so so uh last time we met uh we discussed a lot of things and we talked about uh, David Fincher's new film, Mank. And you presented me with not one, but two lists uh, in regards of the the best performances in Fincher films. Yeah, did you did you hammer out your own list? I here's the thing. I I I did, and then I didn't like it. I I kept doing a list, and I couldn't make it jive. So I am gonna I'm bringing to you a different list. All right, let's do it. I'm bringing you the top ten supporting performances okay. in feature like, films. I like where this is going. Yeah. So, so, and you can there's there's maybe one or two where you could go. Eh, is that really a supporting performance? And we can debate that for a sec. But okay, so number ten, Dwight Yoakam, Panic Room. All right, so you and you and Mr. Jeff Snyder from Collider agreed there. Yeah, I think I think normally he wouldn't make like an overall list of best performances. I don't, I don't think he'd make. But as I was kind of thinking about like who would make the cut of 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 a supporting performance, he definitely does, and he is a really fun part of Panic Room, which is a movie that I'm I'm generally kind of underwhelmed by, and I like what he brings to it. 
Yeah, once once his character comes to the forefront, he really kicks that movie into a different gear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's hundred uh, percent. I'm I'm all for him being on a list of supporting players when it comes to, to Fincher performances, is that he he changes the dynamic of the film. Yeah. Uh number nine. Taraji P. Henson in the curious oh, nice. case of Benjamin Button. Yeah. Um and again, I was looking, I kept skipping over a few of his films just instinctively thinking like, um, there's not going to be anything in there that I, I want. And obviously like this, this is a Brad Pitt, Kate Blanchett vehicle, but they age Tarashi P. Henson a lot throughout the film. And I think what she's doing is actually really good, really detailed stuff. She, and she plays the caring mother so well. And it's funny cause I never watched empire, but from all of the, uh, like the promo stuff I saw, like such a different side of her. And, and from the other things I've seen too, she just, I, I want to see more from her, honestly, because I think she's got a lot of different sides that I, I really enjoy seeing. Well, she, uh, what's the, what was that, that early? Oh, uh, Hustle and Flow. Yeah. I'm not a, f- I'm not a fan of that movie. And I think that movie is hot fucking garbage, but she <laughs> is a revelation. She is hands down the best thing in it. I, you know, I saw it when I saw it after it came out on DVD, and I remember liking it, but I haven't seen it since 2005. I have no idea. Oh man, I, it's it's rough, and I think I think that guy went on to like do a complete flip. I think the same guy, if I'm not wrong, directed Black Snake Moan, which I love. I've got it. That's I've got that's a huge guilty pleasure for me. I don't I don't remember. My sister actually, surprisingly enough, is, I think is a big fan of Black Snake Moan. That's the one that got a lot of shit because the the image was Sam L. Jackson with Christina Ricci chained to the radiator. Yeah, I think I, I think people movie, saw so. that. I think people saw that provocative image and just kind of wrote it off because of that, which is a shame because it's a fantastic film and also a great Justin Timberlake performance as well. He's only in it for two or three scenes, but he's fantastic. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, number eight went with John Carroll Lynch in Zodiac. Yeah. Which we talked about. I don't, you know, he's he's not in it a whole lot, but he does make his presence known when he is in the film. Um, number here, here's and here. So here's the thing: seven through seven through three are, are really. I mean, get pick a different day. This list changes. So so just bear with me on this one. Number seven went with Gwyneth Paltrow in seven. Nice, because I think she kills those scenes that she's in, especially as we mentioned before in our episode, the scene with uh, Morgan Freeman at the diner. It's just lights out lights oh out, yeah so no she is stunning really uh, heartbreaking number- before we move too far away from curious case of benjamin button because i'm going to assume he's not on your list one that i had a hard time leaving off of mine was actually jared harris no in ben button no, i love him in that he's he's i mean he's fun he's really swinging for it but i i i, I yeah i don't think he comes anywhere near my list yeah, I, I figured as much i don't th- and don't get me wrong I don't think he's bad, but he's—he's he's not making my list. Yeah, he's just—he's one of the more memorable parts of that really regrettable movie for me. That's—that's that's true. That's true. Um, uh, number six went with—you're probably going to be bummed. He's as low as he is. Uh, Justin Timberlake in the Social Network. Uh, he was pretty low on mine. Now, just so you know, from my list, I deem Andrew Garfield too big of a role to make this list. So uh, well, yeah, not... and and rightly so. Okay, so he just so you know, he's not he's not on this list. Okay, yeah. that's why. Uh, number five, um, and and she really floated back and forth a lot, but um, 
of all of the performances, I I I I went with Carrie Coon from Gone Girl. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I good choice. Again, she's got that. She's got that scene later in the movie where um, basically you could tell that that uh, Ben Affleck has just told her that he's going to stay with her, and she's breaking down, and she's like, she's just so distraught that he's making this choice, and I, it's just. I, oh I yeah, she's that, like, I can't, I can't watch you play house with that yeah, monster for eighteen yeah, years. Yeah, that yeah. one scene. I mean, she's great throughout, but that one scene just like really elevates it. Well, I love, I love when they're they're prepping him for the interview with uh, Cella Ward's character, and she's yeah. both him and uh, both her and Tyler Perry are fucking with him. That's that's they're, a really great scene too. They're throwing like the jelly beans at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time you look smug, I'm gonna throw a jelly bean at you or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, number four. Probably some recency bias, uh, going with Amanda Seyfried in Mank. Nice. But, I again, we talked about her last week. I think she's great in the movie. Um, number three, I think, I mean, maybe I would have come to this, but the, the, you, we talked about him a little bit last week, too, and it sort of rocketed him up. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, man, he is just, oh, he's unsettling in that. The, yeah. the line where he stopped, he's got the knife in his hand, and he's thinking about where he's going to stab Daniel Craig, how he's going to do whatever he's going to do. And then he stops and that, that, oh, that it's just a, it's just a beat too long and not in a bad way, but it's just a beat too long. He says, have you ever had a man inside you? And then he's like questioning what it is that he's doing. Oh, and it's, that is such a great character beat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, number two, uh, uh, yeah, number two is one I totally stand by here. Number two for me is Deborah Kara Unger in the game. Hey, that's hey, that's a great pick. Uh, I like that. I like that a lot because because she has obviously in, in the the way that the movie is being told and what story it is. She's she's playing. She's got many different hats on many different times and is very convincing in in all of them. Um, I think she's like, under. I think she's underappreciated in general. Have you seen? Cronenberg's Crash? No, no, and I know between Criterion and Arrow, there are many a a wonderful selection to choose from. Um, I are need you going? To, are you going Criterion or Arrow? Um, I well, I I need to see it first. I don't know if I can commit to buying it before I know if I'm going to like it. Probably Arrow because a it's in 4K and b if you look at the supplemental features, the Arrow one just like the the Criterion doesn't have all that much on it. Yeah, so yeah. the cover's better though. Yes, yes, I agree yeah. with that. Um, and number one, probably not not a huge surprise. Uh, and and I people can hate me for this one. We talk, but it's it's Kevin Spacey in Seven. Yeah, I mean, well, now that's that's a hard pill to swallow. But I mean, when he is again, he's like um, he's like Dwight Yoakam in in Panic Room when he shows up. And I mean, you're already in a great movie. How are you not? Yeah like completely all in at that point when he comes in again it shifts the dynamic of the film big time an incredible way and all the sparring that they do in the car uh, it's it's incredible i love the i love the little detail of the way he dips his tea Mm -hmm. with those those bloody where they've tried to take his fingerprints but they can't because he's you know cut his own fingerprints of that that just the way his physicality is really good we talk about um stillness in performances and i mean you're a you're a movement teacher so stillness is obviously something excuse me obviously something that you're really proficient in and and teaching and such but like stillness is a sort of undervalued quality i think in performances 
Well, and what I something I always tell my students, which is I'm totally stealing this from from my movement professor, but it's true, is that you can only understand stillness in its relation to movement. And that's why you've got it's great because you've got Brad Pitt on like the one end of the spectrum who was so frenetic and so frantic and just so all up in your face. And Morgan Freeman's def like definitely kind of in the middle, you know. He he has his moments where he gets heated, but he's pretty cool and collected. But then you've got you've got Kevin Spacey who's like the epitome of like statuesque. Just like you can't you can't you can't affect me. Nothing you and, it, and he does he breaks a little bit, but it's that moment in the car where he, you know, where he gets offended that Brad Pitt is defending these people that he's killed. That stands out from the rest of his performance because We've seen him be so cool. So when we see him lose his temper a bit, it it really stands out, which is yeah, it yeah. resonates just, completely. Stillness yeah. is huge, yeah. And what so a, and what go. a great what a great job. I mean, he must have showed up for a week and just got to be there and be like, I'm gonna let do let, I'm gonna let Brad do all the work. I get to sit back and be menacing by just being here. Yeah, yeah. So that's my list. That's my top ten supporting performances and ventures. That's solid, man. There's a lot of choices on there. I really, I really respect stuff that I wouldn't have thought of, like Deborah Kerr Unger. When I, like I said, when I started my list and I started with the 36 or 38 names, like she was on it, but she was also one of the first to go. I, I pretty easily dismissed her. Well, and it's, it's just tough too because it's hard to like when we talk about like what she's doing in the game versus what Michael Douglas is doing in the game. It's just, it's different. It's, di and it's, it's hard to compare especially when we're following him so much more it's his story so i i i just got i i got bogged down i'm like i need to just make a more of a niche list and so i was like screw it i'm i'm doing that i dig it I dig it so there you go um so uh ian and i were talking off mic before and we we don't have any recommendations to bring you at the top of this episode uh we might have some come in towards the latter half or latter half, the latter part of the episode. Um, so we're just going to get right into it, man. We are going to talk about the 1983 Christmas classic, a Christmas story. Um, this was directed by Bob Clark. Uh, uh, with him. Hang on, oh, oh, Bob, no, no. Bob Porky's Clark. Okay. So hold. Okay. Uh, yes. Bob Clark. Uh, this was co-written by him and Lee Brown and Gene Shepard, uh, which was based on Gene's novel, In God We Trust All Others Pay Cash. So let's stick with Bob Clark for a second. I this So this was the only Bob Clark film I had seen ever, uh, up until the last week and a half. Um, now, his IMDb is... Uh, a uh, shit show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say unfortunate, but that's probably better. That's more fun to say. Um, so he did, like, the Baby Geniuses movies, and he did Rhinestone, which is a movie with Sylvester Stallone and Dolly Parton. But in the last week and a half, I watched Porky's, and I watched um, Black Christmas. And it, well, and he did one. He did one around the same time as Black Christmas. Uh, children shouldn't play with dead things, which is, I'm assuming, it's garbage. But that's a great title. Yeah. I, now, have you seen Black Christmas? I've not. It's uh, it's definitely on my watch list uh, this year. I've been ticking off a few things uh, from my my Christmas movie list that I haven't got to. I know it's a uh, an early slasher film that inspired stuff like Halloween. 
Yeah, and and here's the thing. It it's better than I think it should be. Um it's uh it, it th- there's not a lot of great performances in it. There's a very young Margot Kidder in it. Um just overacting like all over the place. John uh, Saxon did, did she did ever it. did she ever not overact? Uh I guess that's true too. But like like this is this is like what 6 years before Superman. So she's even she's younger. The, the movie is kind of ridiculous. It takes place in a sorority house right before Halloween and there's basically a guy breaks into the sorority and basically starts picking off the girls like one by one. Um it's but it's 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 smarter than I think it it sucks cuz there's so much stupid like we're like dark comedy moments that don't really work when we focus on the killer and what's happening within the, like the walls of the sorority. It's, it's pretty good. And I really like the ending. Um, Porky's is just, (laughs) I mean, what is that movie? What is Porky's man? Well, if for, for a hot minute there, it was the most successful R rated comedy of all time until it was dethroned. Like, I don't know, six months or a year later by, I can't even remember what, but he, he found, he found some huge success with that. And it is actually what got a Christmas story greenlit. If you can believe that, like here, here's an idea. We want the guy who directed terrible slasher films and just ridiculous ridiculous sex romps to do a big family classic christmas story yeah that fucking tracks yeah i i, I don't know i i did watch it i i mean it's it's very i i mean i get who would appeal to it's very juvenile it's very the humor is very dumb but you know it certainly made me question like well god didn't i like find american pie to be hysterical and then like revisited that movie a few years ago and was like holy shit this is problematic this is this isn't good um yeah, so i, liz, get, I think I, get, I told i think i told you liz and i tried to watch it about six months or a year ago and we were like we got maybe 40 minutes in and we we're like we can't we got to pull the ripcord on this motherfucker well and then you didn't even get to the most problematic part which is live streaming a, a girl undressing yeah. in a bedroom like that's not cool yeah that's not cool at all yeah and, um, and porky's i mean the whole point of porky's is pretty much that you know, yeah. without the live streaming element, just dudes trying to get laid. That's yep. yeah. I, I I like how is there is there more noble a goal? <laughs> God, well, to a high high school men, probably not. I don't yeah, know. right. Um, Jesus. All right, so there you go. That's our little that's our little chat on Bob Clark. So uh, let's talk about our cast. Um, we have Peter Billingsley who plays Ralphie. Um, the adult voice uh, narration of him is played by Gene Shepard, whose book this movie is based on. Um, other people in the movie we should talk about. We have Ian Petrella, who plays Randy. That would be his brother. Melinda Dillon as Mrs. Parker. Darren McGavin as Mr. Parker, who I found out through the research is a Spokane, Washington guy. Oh, nice. Yeah, I watched a little interview with him, and he talked about picking berries in Puyallup, and apparently, apparently, he had a, like a tough life growing up. He like he ran away from home, and like this is during the depression, and I, I don't, you know, good for you, good for you. He made it. He did his thing, and I didn't realize he worked with like shit. He's been in the game. He was, I mean, obviously, he's not alive anymore, but he was in the game for a while. Yeah, I didn't. No, his his IMDb is chock full of shit. Yes. Um. And then we've got uh, uh, we've got Ralphie's friends. We have Flick played by Scott Schwartz and Schwartz played by R. D. Rob. Um, we have our two kind of bully characters. We have Zach Ward playing Scott Farkas, 
and Yano Anaya as Grover Dill. Do you know what else he was in uh, just a couple years later? I don't. Two dollars. Oh, yes. He's the paper boy in, in Better Off Dead. Oh, that's great. That is the best thing. Keys! Um, cool. God, I love that movie. I, me too, man. Me too. Uh, and then the, the last one I have is uh, Teddy Moore, who plays Miss Shields. That would be Ralphie's teacher. Am I leaving anybody out? Uh, there are a couple of cameos. Uh, both uh, Lee Brown, one of the writers, uh, is the... Uh, is she's To make sure you don't miss her, her character is credited as red-hatted, curly-haired woman in line for Santa. <laughs> they just wanted to make sure everybody knew where she was in the movie. And then Clark has a as a uh, as a cameo as well as Swede. Ah, okay. Um this was fun. I didn't I so in terms of accolades, there's actually a surprising amount to say about this movie. Um so well, that's some, that's being generous. Well well here's the thing though. <laughs> there was something called the Genie Awards, which merged with the Gemini Awards to create the Canadian Screen Awards, um, which Bob Clark won Best Director this year. He tied with uh, David Cronenberg for Videodrome. Yeah, I can't, don't know how you do that. I, I, dude, it's Canada, man. They, It's a whole other world up there. I, I love our cousins to the Great White North. Yep, yep. Um, so it was all, and it also won best screenplay. It was, it was nominated for, um, uh, best, best picture for that. It lost to something called the Terry Fox story, which I had a fucking no, no idea what that is. It's um, actually got, that's got Robert Duvall in it. And it's about a one legged cancer survivor who runs across Canada. I mean, it's Forrest Gump before Forrest Gump. There you go. There you go. That That's Robert Duvall really going hard for that genie award, man. You just, I, going I for guess. It. Um, it was also up for editing and cinematography and costume design and sound, but it also, I love that, um, there was a supporting actress nomination for, for, for Teddy Moore who played Miss Shields, which is just kind of great. Um, uh, must've been a dry year up there. I, I would, yeah, probably. Um, it was up for a WGA award for best, uh, comedy adapted from another medium, which it lost to terms of endearment, which considering how that cleaned up in award season that year makes, makes sense to me. Um, hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? Yes, it was in 2012. Yay! I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I, I like so it. we're always gonna have it. Yes. And, and as if we weren't always going to have it, I know this isn't an accolade, but I have this, this, so my, my stepdad, who I would not say is a big movie guy, introduced two things to me when it comes to this. He introduced me to Star Wars, those movies. And he introduced me to a Christmas story. And I would say every Christmas from the age of like seven to 18, when I, you know, until I moved out, at some point during Christmas Day, wherever we were, this was on. And then from 18 on, I just took that tradition. And a Christmas story is on at some point in our house every Christmas. It doesn't matter. This might be the movie I've literally seen. More than any other movie. So this is this is actually my first time seeing it all the way through, and uh, fuck it, let's just get right into it because I don't what? think we really have to do. I don't think we really have to do the the uh, synopsis. I'm pretty sure that everybody is familiar with 
the the story of a Christmas story. And let's just be frank about it right now. I'm not going to be making any friends on this episode. In fact, uh, I'm going to be alienating probably 90 to 95 percent of the people that listen to this one. Well, so then let's then okay, great. So then let's. let's anyway, sorry, really quick. Rotten Tomatoes, eighty-nine uh, yeah. percent critic, eighty-eight percent audience. Yeah. So. Yeah, Roger Ebert's original review is for three stars. He re-reviewed it in two thousand and he gave it four. Um, uh, yeah. So. Yes, it's basically just a movie about a kid who really wants the Red Ryder BB gun, and it's told through this narration, kind of like looking back on life and uh, basically reliving the moments uh, of his uh, this nine-year-old and his Christmas and really wanting a BB gun. So, so let's just so. What don't you like about this movie? Well, that's that's why we're here. You've you've got an hour, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Man, so so here's the deal. So I the the um, so it was a TNT or TBS actually yeah. both of them. Yeah, uh, I think starting 2014 2015 they both actually started playing it 24 hours straight, which is just insane to me. I've been talking to a couple of people that I work with this week uh, about this movie because obviously I'm decades late to the party i didn't grow up with it i'm here at 33 having seen it for the first time and obviously i well i don't i was gonna say that i'm not the target audience but it seems like everybody seems to think that everyone is the target audience for this movie which is just wild to me because if you if you didn't grow up in the 40s there's a lot about this movie that isn't really going to resonate with you uh and i just people put it on like like, it's the Yule Log thing. They'll just have it going yep. all day long, which I cannot fathom. I was keeping uh, little hash marks as I was watching the movie of every time there's a screaming child. I got up to 29. So we're talking about one every three, three and a half minutes. I don't know why you would want that on ad nauseum all day long Christmas. That I would just shoot myself. Well... So my so I'm I, I'm just gonna try to counter everything you say if if that's okay with you. I I figured as much. So so in terms of the screaming kids, uh yeah, there's a moment there's this, there's the moment um at the mall where Ralphie has to ask Santa Claus for the Red Rider BB, BB gun because his mom and now his teacher have already told him that he's gonna shoot his eye out. And yeah, there are a shitload of screaming kids who apparently want to wait in line for an indeterminate period of time only to get up there and scream, which yes, I get it. But what I love about when it happens, like all the other times is it's these like young boys who, you know, young boys talking a big game, you know, like I double dog dare you and all like just trying to put up a big fucking front when really we're just a bunch of little babies, like, like nine year old boys yeah, man, I'm I'm strong, but like the second like something tough happens, man, you're, <laughs> I don't want to do it. Which there's so much about this movie that I love that is it. I I, I if if we were gonna do recommends, this is a weird tangent, so just bear with me. But if we were gonna do recommends, I was gonna say that I I I I just basically poured through the newest season of Big Mouth, and what I love about Big Mouth is that it is sort of it's. 
revealing these weird things that like you may have thought when you were young because you were too embarrassed to ask anybody about it, about what it means when your body's changing or, 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 or anything like that. I think the show is, I fucking love Big Mouth. And there's one, like part of what I love about a Christmas story is like just kind of reliving like these moments of like when you used to daydream, like, you know, if you got sent to your room for doing something wrong, like I'll show them, I'll, I'll, I'll come like when I, when I like get hurt someday, I'm going to tell like, it's going to be your fault, mom or whatever, you know, like just reliving in some of these silly daydreams. I, I, I just, I, I loved it. I, and some of them are more funny than others, but I don't know. I just, I really appreciate being taken back to a kid. And even though it's set in the forties, I think that's still universal. I, I still think there's something about trying to relive your, your, your childhood days. Yeah, there there are moments that I think like yeah, I mean it's it's interesting to see how much some things have changed and and some things haven't. But there's, I just I just didn't grow up like that. I mean I met I I'm at a handicap of sorts. I, here's here's the thing. I found the I found the box office on how it did here in the states or sort of North America in general. There's nothing on a worldwide release or even if it got a worldwide release. There's a lot in this film that just wouldn't resonate with a European audience or with a, or with a British audience. And, and so there, I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. There are certain things that are lost on me and it doesn't help the fact that it's set some 80 years ago, which is another ridiculous thing. The more I dug and into like the research and the history of this film, finding out just what a heated debate there is about whether this film is set in 1939 or 1940. Uh, seriously, that's the thing you're gonna debate, not okay. the not how poorly the Chinese restaurant scene at the end has aged, because okay. that's okay. not aged well at that has, all. That has not aged well at all. I, I've, I've, that has aged very, very bad. Yeah. But I, I'll come back to that. But yeah, just the debate about like what, the, like the fear, some of the facts that I was finding about no, I know, well, because, because Ovaltine of... only sponsored. Little Annie Oakley during this period of time, little or, little orphan Annie, or little Annie who gives a shit. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm not trying to be. Why? Well, okay, I'm trying to be a little dismissive. Uh, but like the fact that like Friday, December first, fell on a. It was a. It was a. It was a Friday in 1939, but then one of the songs they used didn't come out until like 1943. There's 1940 on the decoder ring. But then you, that but then the gets, whole thing about when, like, Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz being so prevalent and stuff yeah, like that. Here's, like, here's the thing. Yeah, I think, I think anybody who's got the time to dig that deep into specifically when a movie takes place, I, I, I have to imagine your life is sad, and yeah. um, I'm so, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Get, get, get a hobby. It's set in 19. Who gives a shit? Yeah, just say it's like the 1940s. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Who gives Done a deal. shit? It's an old movie. But anyway, the, the Chinese restaurant scene at the end, I, even as badly as that is aged, there is a detail in it that I, I did love. And that's the guy, when the guy cuts the duck's head off, that actor clearly had no idea what to do past that. And so he's like, just stood there awkwardly with the duck head. And then he like slyly slips it into his pocket. Did you catch that? That, that is great. I just will, and I read too that uh, apparently Melinda Dillon didn't know that it was going to come out with a head on. She didn't know any of that was going to happen. 
Yeah, um, she had different script pages or something, right? Yeah, yeah, which is which which I think also makes it funny. I mean, a bit funnier in general. But you're right. The the fa la 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 that has not it's not aged at, at all. That yeah. that is a regrettable moment in the movie. Yeah. Uh, there, so there is. Uh, I I went digging because obviously all the the criticism you're going to find out there is mostly positive. Like as I said, with that that Rotten Tomato score being 89, but uh, Vincent Canby, uh, who wrote for the New York Times in the 80s, said mm-hmm. there are a number of small, unexpectedly funny moments in a Christmas story, like that duckhead moment that I just mentioned. But you have to possess the stamina of a pearl diver to find them. And I was like, oh man, I can. That's He's just summed up my entire thesis right there with that one statement. See, I guess I just, I, I, I've seen this movie so many times and you know, there's nothing really funny that happens at the beginning. It's, it's setting up the world. He wants the BB gun, but then it's like, it's the next morning. It's, it's like, we're like not no more than 10 minutes into the movie. And we've got like, Randy refusing to eat the oatmeal and letting it like fall out of his mouth. And then like just lines like this, he goes, some men are Baptist, other Catholics. My father was an old mobile man. And then it goes in almost immediately to like Randy getting into his winter outfit, preparing to go to school was like getting ready for deep sea diving. I can't put my arms down. Like I, that shit is all funny. Like I do not. I I just disagree so much. Oh, I know. I I know, man. I know. I'm fighting. I know. I'm fighting a losing battle. As as the great Wesley Snipes in Blade Trinity said, "Some motherfuckers always be trying to ice skate uphill." That's me in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I just fucking pulled that one out of nowhere. And it, I just and I feel like and yes this. The plot, I mean, yes, the plot of this movie is, like, razor thin. It basically is just a series of vignettes. And from what it sounds like, the source material is kind of based that way, too. It's like little... Little short stories that made up a book, and which and were that, originally, uh, which were originally in Playboy from like I think nineteen sixty four ish. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, on top of on top of the fact that we're gonna get the guy who directed Porky's to do this thing, we're also gonna use stories that were in Playboy. Whatever. Different values, different times. Well, sure, but I mean, this movie, I mean. Yes, that, and trust that, me, I'm not. I'm not being judgmental at all. You know me. Oh, I'm not no, no, a prude. No. I don't I give a shit. Say, like, I just find that ironically funny. Oh, it is. No, it is. I. I just. I don't know. I. I. It, I, I, it is a series of like, and maybe it's because I've seen this a jillion times. I just know that like, you know, we've got the flagpole scene. And then we've got when we meet Scott Farkas, and then the first time, like when the the fucking leg lamp comes. I mean. That is one of the most iconic movie props of all time, is that fucking leg lamp. Oh, no, trust me, I get it. But my my notes at that moment was literally, what the fuck does a leg lamp have to do with getting a Red Rider BB gun? It it doesn't, though. And that's... Yeah, that's the thing. Remember that, that quote that you and I go back and forth on sparring with is, uh, what, who's, what story are we telling? That was I, very prevalent in my mind at that moment. But, but see, I think what we're what we're doing is it's like when you when you try to remember a specific event in your life, 
you end up thinking ultimately about all of the periphery events that happened around it. So, like, if I'm trying to remember what happened on, like, my 21st birthday, I might be able to remember, like, maybe I can remember what I did, but then it's going to be the other things, too. Like, oh, well, I was living in Bellingham, and, and that's the one that was, Melissa and I were living with Chris that year. Oh, and then this, and it was it was winter break, and we had it at my apartment because Melissa wasn't 21 yet, so blah, 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 blah. And, like, that's just how, I, I just feel like this is a series of, like, spiraling events, you know? Like, what does Scott Farkas have to do with getting the BB gun, you know, and what is, what is Randy not being able to put his arm? What is, what does little orphan Annie have to do with getting the, none of it, none of it does. It's just like, here's in a way it's, it's oh God, sorry. Weird. Again, I, weird tangents I'm pulling today, but like, it's like Napoleon dynamite. It's just like a chunk of these people's lives. It's just, it's oh, like, God, not, not a good comparison. <laughs> I know, I know. If, if you're trying to make a case for this being a good movie. You no, know, well, I, I also know you don't like that movie, which is why I brought it up. Um, but, like, it's, it's, I don't know, you know, and it's also, like, it's also the way, the way that we see the events unfold, even though it's, we've got an adult Ralphie doing the narration, and we got the younger Ralphie, obviously, in the movie, there's something about, like, this is clearly from his perspective, like in in a comedic way, what I mean is there was a moment early on where the furnace is like doing some shit down in the basement, and he goes down, and he's down there being like, "You Schaffelheimer," and he's just saying all this gibberish, right? To which, either, I, I, I what am I trying to say? Maybe he was actually swearing up a storm, or maybe he was saying real words, but like. This is like the memory of a nine-year-old and what he heard. And like, it, it's just like the random, the random stuff just coming out of his mouth. And there's, I, I don't know. I, the way in which they tell the story is clearly from his perspective. And that's why I like the way that certain parts of it are told. And then it, 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 that, that goes into his, um, his little daydreams as well. Like these are clearly the daydreams of a nine-year-old. Well, I think, I think, uh, with the, the series of vignette sort of nature of it and all these other memories that sort of float in and out of the, the one that he's telling, I think maybe a, a Christmas story is the wrong title. I don't know. I'm kind of being a bit facetious with that because there's, there's yes. Okay. There is a running narrative, but they go on these mammoth tangents. Like there, there is a good, 30 minute section where the whole Red Rider BB gun thing is, is in the background. It's mostly during that leg lamp sequence. And then we kind of come back around to Christmas. There's the, there's a really good moment with the guy in the Christmas tree lot, you know, where he shakes the tree and he's like, look, none of the pine needles are going to come off. And then of course there's a huge fuck off circle of them on the ground. But yeah, the, the whole thing with the, the lug nuts, losing the lug nuts and saying fudge, but I didn't say fudge. I said yeah. the other one, the big one. I don't know. There's there's something about it that I understand the 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 memory analogy, but it's it's also there's something about it being unfocused that that also didn't help it is is part of the reason I think why it didn't resonate with me. Not only because it's just this is not really my childhood. There's nothing in it that I can really relate to. Sure. Well, and and I know I am bringing a shitload of nostalgia to this pod because I just I well, that's it. that's good because if you weren't gonna call you out on it, I was. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. But again, I I just think about this idea of, 
you talk about unfocused, which in a way, like I think from a plot structure uh, viewpoint, it absolutely is unfocused, but it's unfocused in the way in which like I, I, I even find myself during this podcast sometimes of like pulling random things I got to throw in. Like yeah, yeah. our, our journey from A to B is not a straight line. And God, you, you, you've done this, this show with me for over a hundred episodes. I don't know how to go in a straight line. And oh, neither do I, which is, but it's just, I think, and that's life. That's like telling a story. And like, I just, I just go back to like old adult Ralphie with a bunch of buddies at a bar and like, hey, I got a Christmas story for you. Remember those Red Ryder BB guns when we were kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, well, the Christmas I got it, man, it was fucking crazy, you know? And like, you end up telling the shit about the, I, that. There was this kid I knew who got his tongue stuck to a fucking fire pole. And then I got my little orphan Annie pin. And I thought it was the shit, but it just told me to go buy some fucking Ovaltine. And then I went and saw Santa and he fucking kicked me down a slide. Like, it's the oh, kind God, of thing that's, where you. Before I forget, great. That is a great moment, but there's a missed opportunity for a sight gag that really kind of bummed me out there. Is when he gets to the bottom of the slide. I don't know. I would have like painted on just a little imprint of the boot on his face. I just I was like, ah, oh, it's such a missed opportunity for just a little just a little gag there. For sure. But yeah, no, I I get that, and I think it's I think it's problematic not just of this movie, but just when you make a movie that is told in a series of vignettes. I think there is the chance that you are going to lose focus from a larger narrative standpoint. That's yeah. Is it nitpicky? Yeah, probably, but it's, it's inherent in the way this story is told. Well, and, and I mean, it is, it, it, it can be problematic. And, and yes, any movie that is built around a series of, I don't want to say bits, like, like they'll have to be funny, but a series of moments that aren't necessarily connected, but like it's the same people. And that's how we keep going. Sure. Yeah. That, that can be problematic. And I feel like when it works for it's it's going to be like the 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 overall story being told is what's going to draw somebody in or not. And for me, it's like I, you know, I I had a really tough when I turned this on. I was like, initially, like you know, we get the opening credits and and it's just kind of leading us in. I was I kind of had a little apprehension because I was thinking, man, am I just going to be praising this movie because I've watched it every year and I feel like I feel obligated to do it, you know, like to say, Oh no, no, it, it, it's good. When really like deep down, I, I don't necessarily believe it. But again, we, the second that the, she's wrapping Randy with the scarf and he says, I can't put my arms down. And I, I've seen this movie so many times and I was laughing out loud I knew that it wasn't just nostalgia because I, I wouldn't keep laughing like this if I didn't actually find it funny. And yes, I'm sure the years of watching it and my appreciation for it has, has grown over time. But like, I will occasionally throw on the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies because again, that's nostalgia for me. I grew up with those movies. Those aren't good movies. Like, I know, no, I can look back and go, <laughs> holy shit, those are not good. I can watch them for entertainment purposes, but know that they were not well made. But I totally dig this movie. I totally dig this movie. And there was, and I Well, that's, that's good to hear, because I, 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 I don't want it, for people that enjoy it, I want them to actually enjoy it and not go, well, I've, you know, it's always been on. 
don't don't do that. Don't take that easy route of ah, oh, it's just on every Christmas. No, tell me tell me why it is that you like it. Not just because you're falling into a nostalgia trap and you're one of these people that pop it on TNT and just let it play all day and you pop in and pop out and go, oh, that's the moment where his tongue is stuck to the slide or, oh, we're back at the Chinese restaurant scene or, or whatever. Well, and I, I had an epiphany. Just justify the nostalgia is, well, is and, what I want. And I had, because, and, and, and I'll be honest, like, I've seen this movie a lot, but like sitting down to watch it all the way through, you know, I, not always, because you're right. It is, it's become a Christmas thing where it's just kind of on in the background, but there was a moment where I know I've seen it before, but I don't think I let it kind of wash over me. And this time it really did. It's the moment where uh, Ralphie's dad says, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? And he's like, yeah, kind of. And they're, they're sitting there, you know, and he goes, I think, wait, what's that behind the desk? And Ralphie gets up and he pulls out the box and he opens it. And, and Ralphie's really excited. But his dad, Darren McGavin, has this smirk the whole time and he's so excited for his kid to open this gift. I mean, you can just see how excited the dad is for his son to have gotten this gift. And it hit me actually really hard because Christmas has changed so much for me over the last six years. Because even like as like an adult, pre-kid, Christmas is different. You don't, you don't have trouble sleeping on Christmas Eve, like you did when you were a kid, because you were just so fucking excited to wake up in the morning. But it, it it's shifted now because you see how happy your kids are in the morning, and watching him, like he played that moment so perfect, just so wonderfully perfect. Watching his son open this gift, and I realized at that moment that I have grown up with this movie, because like. I know when I watched this movie when I was a kid, I'm just focusing on him opening the cool gift that he really wanted to get, and he finally got it. But now I can like I can see it from the parents' point of view too, and be like, no shit, that's great. Well, that's and that yeah, that is great. I'm I'm that's awesome to hear. And I he is honestly the best thing in it. He's got a moment even before that where Christmas moments start. I think this is my. There are two moments I really enjoy. The, there's right before that when the parents come downstairs, the kids have rushed downstairs and they're pawing through the presents and then mom and dad come down and he's tired before the day even begins. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, dude, I get it. I get that. It's a great, the look on his face is so genuine. And and before that, there's a moment, because I don't feel there's enough interaction between him and Melinda Dillon. That that's one of the the unfortunate things that that gets lost because so much of the film is told from Ralphie's perspective. But when they fight over which color of light bulb is out on the tree, and the whole like <laughs> sniping at each other over who's colorblind and who's not, oh, that is fucking choice. Yeah, and there's, there's I, not there's not enough of that in the movie. Don't get me wrong, Gene Shepard, great storyteller. If this is if this is like the benchmark, like I, I honestly do want to read some of his work now. And that title in God, we trust all others pay cash. Awesome title. I was going to say that title is better than the entirety of this movie. I mentioned last week. I love the title blue ruin. And I was like, yeah, I like, this is, this is a great, that's a great title. That's a great title. They should have just called the movie that I, yeah. Uh, there's a moment between them, obviously after the leg lamp breaks where, it's so great. He's like, where's the glue? And she goes, it's all gone. He's like, you, you, you used all the glue on 
purpose. I, I, this, that whole fight around the. Oh, the insanity of, the of that is oh, great. It's so great because that's, that's how bit. couples fight. We go to we go to those extremes of yeah. like you you plan this, you did this. I lo- and I love it. Like all the old man could mes- muster out was not a finger. And he like this takes off. I it's just so ridiculous. It's so yeah. Ridiculous. Some of some of the narration is really solid, like talking about how he could gently hear the sound of taps playing while he buried the lamp. But I will say, <laughs> the flip side of that is the alliteration. You can fuck right off with that. There is too much alliteration in that dialogue of, of the 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 pretty pencil and the fevered fluidity. Like just stop it. Just stop it. You got the verbal diarrhea there. Just you playing with words no it's not just stop it it um, really it started to wind me up after a while there uh there are other two two other moments with the parents that i totally i the last note i actually had um was that christmas christmas eve night and christmas night is really really for the parents there's a there's a moment where he's like they said like oh, i thought i heard santa across the street better go and they run upstairs and like you 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 can watch the parents listen for the kids to get in bed and to hear the door shut and they look at each other like okay let's get him and 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 it's a hard cut to christmas morning and but it's great because if you're a parent now you know exactly what that feels like you wait you wait long enough for your kids to be sound asleep and then you're like okay fuck let's let's go find the secret stash and put it let's get this let's get this over with and then the whole like christmas night like i remember being a kid and like you get you get shitty sleep the night before because you just don't know how because you're just like oh shit I want my shit I want it I want it I want it and then you spend the next day like freaking out and playing with it and I remember like I don't know about you but like Christmas Day evening I was out early like I'd eat dinner and like an hour later I was out just because yeah. I would just like just worn out and that really is like now as a parent I know you need that the parents need that kids need to fucking go to sleep because it's been a hell of a day. And we know you want your gifts, but you need to go to bed. Honestly, I've enjoyed you talking about this more than I did the movie. It was, dude, it was a long 90 minutes. I guess, and there's a lot that could come out to like streamline this thing, which is funny to say about a movie that's already so short. But like, tell me why the show me how piggies eat bit is funny and why the hell does it go on for a full two minutes? It's I, long as hell. It, yeah. Why is that funny? I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know exactly why, but you, it leads to my, my unsung hero of the movie is Randy. Oh, is it really? See, I'd go, I'd go the old man. I'd See, go McGavin. I think he's, I think he's sung quite well. I think, I really think this is a, a good vehicle for him and Melinda Dillon. I think they actually give really good performances in the movie. But Randy, I mean, Jesus Christ, this, anything this kid does, I fuck it. I just am in fucking stitches. I, I love when the mom is making dinner and she hears the crying and she opens the cabinet below the sink. He's, Daddy's going to kill Ralphie. And he just refuses to leave under the sink. I, I don't know, man. I just, I just found every fucking thing that Ralphie did to be hysterical. I, I, yeah, I get it. And I mean, and me saying McGavin is probably, I mean, you're, yeah, you're probably right. He probably is sung enough, but that's just, that speaks to my lack of, my lack of knowledge and awareness of this movie kind of in general. Yeah. Which, which is fine. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And it also does the thing that I, I hate about Christmas, which is fetishizing 
Oh, God, I'm going to sound like such a fucking arrogant prick. The fetishizing of consumerism just frustrates me. Yeah, I... I, I what a I've, what a pretentious douchebag. I can't believe I just said well, that. Well, here's the thing. At one point, I hear you, and I understand you, and then on the other, on the other hand, it's like, well, fuck, dude, you don't have kids. <laughs> yeah, there is that. I, I'm kind of speaking out of turn. Like, there were, like, so many Christmases... Like I like the three years that we were in Indiana um, when I was in grad school, like we didn't get a whole lot for each other because like Christmas Day, we would make a We would make a big breakfast and then we would always go do a double feature at the at the movie theater. That's what we did Christmas Day for three years because it was like, do we really need stuff in our, our small one bedroom apartment in Bloomington, Indiana? Or do we just want to do something? And the doing of st- stuff was great. And but now it's just like we've fallen into that. Yeah. Now it's just stuff stuff for the kids. Just get them, yep. whatever. Um, I, here's the thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking about the movie because I I love this movie. So uh, I I do I want to hear you say one one negative thing. Just go negative. Just come on. You got it. I know you got it in you. Just okay, one I, like kick this movie in the balls. Just do it. I, I have I have two two nitpicks. They happen later in the movie. One. I th- I think people actually do this, so I I, I I I don't. But are they just putting that Christmas tree up on Christmas Eve night? I, I you know I think that used to be how it was done. Okay, because I I just because clearly they bought the tree a different day, but it certainly seems like they're finishing doing the stuff the night before Christmas. So I that that just seems really. Do you really get to enjoy the tree if you're doing it then? Yeah, I think we've we've uh, we've certainly gotten softer with how long we leave Christmas decorations up. Uh, oh, and I know I, I, certainly this shit show of a year. I know people have been putting them up much sooner. Ours was we, up like the day before Thanksgiving. Our, our our both of our trees were up the first weekend in November. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This year can blow. Um, and then the other thing, but and that, so and but I, I that one wasn't as nitpicky to me. This one. This one I, I find just kind of weird. So it's Christmas morning. We get that hard cut. They're outside. It's all white. It's all snowy. Ralphie opens his window and looks out at the snow and he goes, wow. Hasn't it been snowing there for days? There's always been snow. Like, yeah, there's always snow. What is he What is he impressed with? Yeah. I was like, this, I don't get that. That's about as yeah. negative as I can go. Ah. Uh. I was, I was hoping for a deeper cut, but oh, whatever, that'll that'll do. I'll have to I'll have to live with that. There are two pieces of uh, cast and crew trivia that amused me. Ooh, let's hear. Uh, it. This film shares a crew member with Boondock Saints. Uh, the costume designer Mary McLeod did the costumes for both this and Boondock Saints, which I don't know. I just love weird movie connections like that. That is pretty fucking weird. And uh, tell me. Tell me how much different you think this movie would have been had Jack Nicholson been cast as the old man, which obviously was never going to happen because I think it. I think I read it would have doubled their budget to yeah. pay Nicholson's salary at the time. Yeah. Um. You know. And I guess. And I guess he wanted it. They just couldn't make the money work. I. I think it would have. I mean, I. I don't think it would have been bad, but I don't know. I don't know if Jack would have found those those more tender moments that we, we really, really need in the movie with him. Um, I, I, of course I would have loved to have seen what that was, but 
I'm quite happy with it the way that it is. Yeah, I'm I'm sure those people in that alternate dimension are much happier. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, Will Wheaton auditioned for the role of uh, of Ralphie, which uh, people have got to stop telling me that. I don't look like Will Wheaton. Fucking you knock do. it off. No, you oh, you, oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> you told me that. And I, I think I imagined a different person. And then, like, the day after you mentioned that I had looked, I was like, oh, shit. Ian oh, God damn like it. Wheaton. That, that, that goes back to episode one. Yep. Stand by me. <laughs> Over a hundred episodes later, and you still look like Will Wheaton. Oh, God damn it. I got to start losing weight or something. <laughs> oh, God. All right. All right. So, um,. Are we doing answers first, or do you want to do you want to talk about? What you're I, do bringing? you even have to? Come on, you you do you even have to ask? Well, did, but you did know you, I do you, did do you I, have your do you have your formal response? Do, do I have a replacement? No, 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 no. I mean, like we the new thing that we're doing. Do you have your little your little blurb before your answer? Oh, uh, Vincent Canby did it for me. Oh, whatever. Fuck you. Fine. Ian, should a Christmas story be in the book? No whatever hard no here's and here's what i said personal style personal nostalgia for this film aside a christmas story takes a fun and comedic look into the world of christmas through a child's eye the added narration and comedic vignettes take me back to daydreaming of what it could what it was like to be a youngster this is one of the definitive christmas movies absolutely delightful and therefore it should be in the book yes thank you (laughs) That was a slow clap just for you, but great. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm glad. I think you. I think you justified why you like this movie beyond the nostalgic <laughs> reason. So, I, I, if I was wearing a hat, I would take it off. Thank you. Thank you. So but you did get to play the parent card, so you cheated a little bit. Ah, that's true. I did. I did. All right. So there it is. There's a Christmas story. I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm not unhappy that i finally did it was it was gonna happen sooner or later there was a couple of movies that i'm as i mentioned i'm checking off some of the the gaps in my uh uh christmas movie watch list like we also did uh, the same week we did national lampoon's christmas vacation uh fuck that movie yeah i that that we watched that last year for the first time I just don't like those movies. The the I just don't like Chevy Chase. That's that's fair too. That's fair too. Fuck that guy. Who 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 told that guy he was funny? Lorne Michaels. Ugh. <laughs> He's not, I've never I've never seen anything with Chevy Chase where I thought he was funny. I've never laughed at Chevy Chase once. I think I laughed at him with his little bit in Dirty Work. Oh, the Bob Saget movie? <laughs> yeah. He plays like a surgeon who's like deep into bookies. It's so stupid. He's only in it for like three minutes, but it's 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 stupid funny. Uh, I don't know. I've also still got what have I? I haven't done. I've never done the Jim Carrey Grinch. So oh, I gotta, really? I gotta, I gotta check that off the list this year. That movie is too long. Yeah, it's well, really. I mean, it's not bad. Um, I and he's. It's actually one of those like he was meant to play that role. It's just very very long. That seems to be the general consensus is that even if you hate the movie, you, I mean, Jim Carrey nails it. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, like you mentioned, Black Christmas, that's also another one I think I'll be trying to do before the end of the year. That's on Canopy. I check, check it out. Oh, awesome. 
I think I think you'll I think you will mostly dig it. It's dated in a way, but I I think I think you'll like it. You're saying saying probably imbibe before watching. Imbibe while watching. We had we had, we had wine while we were watching it. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, but uh, I do have a replacement uh, for a Christmas story, and again, as I was just a pretentious douchebag a moment ago, I will be again oh, with God. this. I got a little film. 2005 called Joy Noel which is French for Merry Christmas uh, this is a big European co-production a lot of different countries help finance this thing it's got a couple people in it you'd recognize uh, Daniel Bruhl and Diane Kruger both from Inglorious Bastards show up in this uh, also Gary Lewis who was in uh, The Dad and Billy Elliot and he was in Gangs of New York and then uh, Ian Richardson as well he was the, uh, the dude from the original British House of Cards great British thespian. Um, so it's it's about the 1914 December armistice, the, the, the truce on the Western Front between uh, the Scots, the French, and the Germans. Uh, you know, it's early days of World War One. You know, already there is tremendous loss of life, but uh, these three sides of the front sort of come together on Christmas Eve, and they... There were there were a lot of incidences on on that night up and down the front where this happened, but they focused specifically uh, on one where a football game was played, and you know they fudge some historical facts here or there, but they're trying to, to bridge a lot of gaps and combine a lot of different events. It, it the the main character uh, main characters really are the Diane Kruger and uh, the fellow that plays uh, another tenor. They're, they're both opera singers. Uh, he's been called to the front, and she gets him uh, an evening pass to come back to HQ behind the line and sing for the uh, German officers. But he has a crisis of conscience. He's like, look, I can't. I'll, I'll do this, but afterwards i got to leave right away. i got to get back to the front, and I really want to sing for the men. And she's like, well, I got this pass from the Kaiser himself. I'm not going to just let you go. I want to spend every minute with you. And so... She goes to the front with him, um, and there's this really beautiful moment. It's a moment that, I'll, I'll admit, makes me tear up every single time. He starts singing Silent Night to the men, and then across the way, the Scots hear him, and of course, a guy pulls out a bagpipe and starts playing along, and then it, it becomes this huge, rousing thing where... Uh, the German officers have given the German men at the front, they've given them Christmas trees, which they've set every few meters. He picks up one of these lighted Christmas trees and walks into no man's land singing, Oh, come all you faithful, while the Scots are playing on the bagpipe. It's a really beautiful, tremendous moment, and all the men come together. They're swapping stories of home. They're sharing pictures. Uh, There's a great subplot with the French lieutenant uh, who has had no news from home. His wife has had a baby. He doesn't know... Uh, she was going into complications when he was called away, so he doesn't know if she survived, if the baby survived. So that's all really intense. Um, yeah, it's just a, uh, it's it's kind of. I'm sure some people would find it to be rather slow paced, but it is a very moving, very important piece of Christmas history. And that- tremendous performances all the way down the line. I've nominated I, I- for the Oscar, the Globe, and the BAFTA for form. Didn't win any of them, but it was nominated for all three. That sounds really good. It, it, that sounds like a really good movie. I think it's right up your alley. I think you'd really enjoy it. I will, ha- I will have to check that out. Yeah. 
But uh, this leads us into just to to wrap up the episode here. I've got uh, I've got a little bit of a list to to bring us home with. Um, mm. We've been mm. we've been trying to do. You love lists, right? Oh, I love lists. And I love lamp. Nom, 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 nom. I'm gonna eat up that list. Uh, so, like we mentioned in episode 100, we're gonna be trying to find alternative lists. Obviously, a Christmas story is on a ton of them. You know, the AFI, it's on all kinds of seasonal Christmas lists. Yep. I actually found one that uh, Christmas Story is not on, but it's still relevant because we're, we're talking Christmas movies a little bit. And yeah. before I do this list, do you want to settle the debate of what makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie or not? I saw it again on Twitter this morning. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, the movie doesn't happen if it's not Christmas. So it's a Christmas movie. Sure. We need to just stop this debate. So, so yeah, obviously important that the movie takes place around or on Christmas. Um, I think, uh, I think, uh, uh, f- family is, is huge to a Christmas story, um, which Die Hard is all about reconciliation of a family. Um, seeing people overcome obstacles, um, kind of a la It's a Wonderful Life, you know, but also, uh, you know, Reginald Vell Johnson. He overcomes his 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 issues with the gun and die hard, man. People people are learning life lessons. People are getting together. Lots of there's there's Christmas there's Christmas music in the movie. I mean, we open with that. Is it is it um Run DMC? That yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fuck come on, man. It's all there. Yeah. All the tra- there's a fucking gift in the movie. But that's I, that's the question I ask. Does the movie happen if it's not Christmas? Well, probably not. Yeah, so that's so that's what makes us a Christmas He's movie. He's flying back for Christmas. His yeah. wife is at a Christmas function with her company. No, it, yes, it, this is a Christmas movie. So that so that question is relevant when it comes to this list. That's why I wanted to do that. Just a right. little bit of solving that because uh, there are some batshit nuts choices on this list, yes. which are gonna boggle yes. your fucking mind. Can't wait. So parade parade magazine. Yes. Uh, which I guess is a magazine which is distributed in newspapers on Sunday. I hadn't heard of it before this, but that's that's I, what it is. It's just I've you get a Sunday it, paper. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, so this is fairly recent. Looks like they published this on uh, November the 23rd. This is their 20 best unconventional Christmas movies. Uh, so right at the top, number 20 is a movie I've never heard of. It's called Better Watch Out. Uh, wow. Sounds like it's got a little bit of a horror thriller element with a babysitter. I, who okay. knows? Cool, cool. Uh, number nineteen is just fucking crazy. American Psycho. Yeah, well, that's because that's, it's got what two that, scenes which are set at a Christmas party. Yeah, yeah, that's <sighs> no hard no. Hard no. Iron Man three. Again, this is our Shane Black problem. <laughs> Dude, I I gotta I just wanna what is it what is his obsession with Christmas? What is it? I don't it? know. I don't know. Why? I, 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 I would consider Lethal Weapon more of a Christmas movie than Iron Man 3. Don't worry, we'll get there. Okay. Uh number 17 is Krampus. I've never seen Krampus, but I, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I've heard some favorable things about it. Yeah, me too. I and I know, and I know it's got a solid cast. Adam Scott, who I love in everything I've ever seen him in. Yep, yep. Number number sixteen. I was only going to do the top ten, but I did all twenty simply because number sixteen is in Bruges. 
Hey. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good point. It's it is a Christmas. It doesn't happen if it's not Christmas. Oh man. I I, I mean I, I guess you know. could say the assass the assassination still might happen, but. Yeah. I think I think there's enough in there to qualify it as. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's a thin line, but... It, it is a thin line, and I could see I could see falling one way or the other on it, so... Yeah. Here's another batshit crazy, crazy choice, just like American Psycho. Is number 15 is Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, no, that's not. Yeah. That's not at all. That's a perfect choice. Yeah. Oh, oh that, okay, you're going the other way. That's totally set around Christmas. They, they're shopping. They're shopping for her. They're totally getting ready for Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm... I'm a, popping that fucking movie on soon man i'm celebrating the holidays with fucking eyes wide shut oh it's such a it's such a great movie but i i don't know i think that movie could happen if it wasn't christmas you know what i mean i don't yes, think the setting I, is totally is relevant that's true yeah uh number 14 shane black rears his head again with kiss kiss bang bang yeah yeah no yeah no i appreciate I, it but I mean, Downey Jr. is stealing from a store on Christmas at the beginning. Yes, I know. Uh, <laughs> number 13, again, is a hard no, uh, because only the beginning of it takes place at Christmas, is L.A. Confidential. Uh, I, yeah, and, and it's it's so irrelevant to the rest of the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, number 12 is another one I haven't heard of, White Reindeer. Nah, no. You familiar with that one? Yeah. Nope. Okay, really batshit choice. Number eleven is Brazil. I don't even remember. Like he's giving his mother a present at the beginning. Is it Christmas at the beginning of that movie? Oh God, maybe. Yeah, I, that sounds kind of familiar. Right. I don't you know. You know, I'm not a big fan of that movie. I I've pretty much blocked it out of my brain. Yeah, I'm hot and cold towards it. All right, number ten is Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I could, I, I can see it. I, I, it may, it's not as, it's not as cut and dry as Die Hard, but I get it. Yeah. Uh, number nine is a movie I recommended a while back. Trading Places. Please tell me you've seen this. I still haven't seen it since we checked. Oh, okay. You got That's one you got to check off of your Christmas alternative Christmas list. Okay. Okay. I, I love it so much. It's again a lot of it's not aged well, but I, it's Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. We and, did and watch. Ja and Jamie Lee Curtis. I know it's not the same thing, but we did watch. Trains, planes, and automobiles on Thanksgiving. Is that is that a Thanksgiving or a Christmas movie? I haven't it, seen it in so it's long. Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving. It is okay. All yeah. right. Um, here's a weird one, and again, I didn't. I've seen it, but I didn't remember that it was set at Christmas. Is Tangerine? Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, but it's. I mean, it's set in L.A., so it's just you would, a sunny you day. Know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number seven, Batman Returns. Yeah, I get it. I yeah. get it. Uh, number six has become a must every year for me is Bad Santa. Yeah. <laughs> I Oh, man, I love Bad Santa so much. Shame about the sequel, but I do love Bad Santa a lot. I didn't see the sequel. And I think Last Christmas was the first time I watched it. It's it's good. That's, it's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's solid. Movie. I mean, it's... I, I've still not seen, seen Sling Blade, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's Billy Bob at his best. Oh, God. It's just such a totally different performance, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number five is Carol. Oh, yeah. I guess that's... Kate Blanchett. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, great movie. 
Yeah. Beautiful that's, movie. I, that's I love it. That's probably my favorite Todd Haynes flick. Uh, oh, that's right. You weren't a big fan of I'm Not There. Not at all. Uh, number four is Black Christmas, the original, the Bob Clark one, not the remake. Yeah, yeah. So here's, this one's weird, and I think they meant the first one. They had Gremlins 2 at number three, but Gremlins 2, as far as I remember, is set in the summer. Now, I've never seen Gremlins 2. I'm pretty so... sure they reference like, the 4th of July or something in it. Okay. Yeah, Grem- but Gremlins is totally Gremlins, the original movie. Gremlins, is, so I'm assuming that's just like a typo whatever on there let's go with that let's go with that but uh i this year i've been trying to insist that liz has not seen it all the way through she's seen bits and pieces i gotta i gotta get her to watch gremlins all the way through because that movie is just banana pants fucking crazy it's it's a blast it's a blast to watch the kids the kids like it yeah uh number two is die hard obvious choice surprise it's not number one the number one kind of took me by surprise and i kind of really respect it i saw it a couple years ago and actually really liked it was the ref with uh kevin spacey and dennis leary dennis leary i've never i've never seen that as again i think you'll like it i i you know what i am a big dennis leary fan i I, I actually loved rescue me i really fucking like that show yeah, I don't know why I didn't do that one. I heard it was great. That's kind of the one that FX sort of like the Sopranos for HBO. That's the one that FX kind of built its reputation with, right? Yeah, and and all of like so many great side performances. It gets, I, if you don't kind of go along with it, it it seems like this is way too much shit to be happening to this small group of firefighters. But if you just roll with it, it's it it's it's pretty engaging. So with with the ref, Dennis Leary takes uh, Kevin Spacey and his wife hostage. Yes. In that, uh, that's uh, it's, Dennis Leary is just firing on all cylinders, and I think it's the best thing he's ever. Without having seen Rescue Me, I think it's the best thing that Dennis Leary has ever done. I mean, I remember, I can remember seeing like the trailer for it, like on a VHS of something playing before whatever movie it was on, but. I, yeah, I just I definitely have never seen that movie. No other. Well, we've we've both got homework assignments. We both got movies to check off of our our Christmas list. But I would yes, I would definitely recommend the Ref and Trading Places for you. Got it. Got it. And I will make sure I will make sure to try and see Black Black Christmas within the next couple of weeks. Well, shit, man, that was a good list. That was a fun, weird list. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, some crazy choices. Yeah, yeah. Um. So. There, you, there you have it. That is our episode on Christmas, a uh, Christmas story, and uh, other other Christmas films. Um, there was a yes for me and a no for me, and but uh, we're just two folk, you know. And we would love to know what you think. So please hit us up on Facebook and on Twitter and let us know where you stand in the great a Christmas story debate. Um, as I mentioned before, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. You can uh, find the show on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and all those great places. Um, you can support us at patreon.com slash a thousand and one by one. And stay tuned. Uh, it's going to be a couple of weeks, but when we come back, our next episode will officially be in to season three. And as we mentioned last week, and I'm going to mention it again today, it's going to be the first two episodes are going to be big. They're going to be long, big episodes, but I think it's going to be worth it. We're going to settle some scores. We're going to debate some of the flaws of the book. It'll be great. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, look, please comment on this episode. I really am looking forward to people taking me to task over my Christmas story views. 
Well, hopefully all in good fun. All in good fun. Uh, But until our next episode, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas.